invite you to turn with me in God's Word this evening to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. With the completion of last week's sermon, we have made it halfway through this psalm. Uh, It is a Hebrew acrostic, each stanza beginning with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Today we come to the twelfth letter out of the twenty-two, the letter Lamed. And it is uh, found in verses 89 through uh, 96. Let's now hear this, the living word of the living God. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. This ends this reading in God's uh, word. Let's look again to him in prayer. Uh, Lord, our God, uh, we thank you for your holy word. Uh, We thank you for the way it directs us, and especially Psalm 119, which tells us of the extraordinary value of all of the written word of God. Lord, how quickly and easily we take your word for granted. We have Bibles on our shelves. It's always been that way. Lord, uh, um, what a treasure it is that we have beyond all compare. And grant, O Lord, that you would awaken in our own hearts, even tonight, a deeper love for your holy scriptures. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. I wonder, uh, what is the oldest thing uh, that you own? Uh, Some of you might say, well, I have a few pieces of clothing uh, that might date a decade or a couple decades or even a little bit more than that. And plan on keeping them in my closet as well for a time yet to come. Uh, Others of you uh, might have certain uh, collectibles, treasures that have been passed on, uh, maybe two generations, three, four generations, even in your families. Uh, You have that. Um, Some of you might live in homes, you know, the uh, spreckers of a home that dates a uh, over a couple hundred years, uh, even longer than that, I think close to 300 years old. That's pretty old. Uh, there's not very many of us that have something that is that old. Well, dear friends, if you have the Holy Scriptures, you have something that is much, much older than perhaps any other thing that you possess. To have the Word of God is to have a word which was written two or three millennia ago but even more importantly, has existed from eternity in the mind and will of Almighty God. That's an awesome thought. 
Here is a word which, like our eternal God, is an eternal word, a word which is unchanging and will never pass away for the people of God. And it's that aspect of God's word which we are brought face to face with in our stanza of Psalm 119 uh, tonight. Our theme of today's sermon is simply going to be this. It is that God's eternal word is the Christian's surest support. God's eternal word is the Christian's surest support. Uh, And we're going to look at that just by breaking the sentence up into two parts. Uh, So first of all, we're going to consider that phrase, God's eternal word, out of verses 89 through 91. And then from verse 92 to the end of this section, we're going to consider how it is the Christian's surest support. Well, first of all, I want us to consider this little phrase, God's eternal word. We find this indeed in verses 89 uh, through 91. Uh, There we are told, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Uh, Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. And by your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. Uh, The theme of this section is indeed this fact that God's word is one which is firmly fixed in the heavens. It uh, is a a word which uh, is is there, it's constant, it's unchanged. Now to make that point though, notice that the psalmist draws our attention to the rest of creation. And shows us the same God who caused Scripture to be written is the God who upholds all things or all creation in the work of his providence. And so what we can do, and what the psalmist does here, is he kind of reasons backwards from the work of from God's work of providence to his work of inspiration. That is, from God's general revelation in creation to his special revelation in his word. Or to say it again, he reasons from God's world to God's word. Now, what is it that we see when we look at the world around us? That's what's shown in verses 90 and 91. It says, Your faithfulness endures to all generations, You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. In other words, he looks everywhere at the world around him. The earth and all that it contains, meaning the universe, all of this visible creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the trees, the grass, the wind, Fire and hail and snow, dirt, air, flowers, all of these things. And he proclaims wherever it is that we turn our eyes, what we see are not, as it were, independent entities, but rather servants which are always accomplishing the will of their master. Okay, verse 91, all things are your servants. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon puts it this way, that no atom escapes God's rule. No world avoids his government. And that's what the psalmist sees. Everywhere he looks, he sees a world that is being upheld 
by the living God. My own mind runs to another psalm, Psalm 19, uh, and verses 1 through 6, which make this very point. Uh, There we read that the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. What is he saying there? He's simply saying that wherever you turn your eye, you have a creation which shouts with the glory of its maker. The handiwork of the living God is seen wherever you turn your eye. And even in the course that the sun runs from daybreak to the setting of that sun, it runs its course according to the plan and the design of Almighty God. Friends, what we see with the sun in the heavens, we see all around us. We see an extraordinary orderliness to the natural world. And it's an orderliness that shows the faithfulness of the God who upholds it. Uh, Why is it uh, that when, um, if I had a ball in front of me and I move my feet and kick that ball, why is it that that ball is going to go somewhere? Why is there cause and effect in this world? Well, it's because God has ordained it. And God makes it to be so. Why is it that if I were to take out my keys in my pocket, and to let them go, that they would fall to the ground. Gravity, you say. Well, what is gravity but the way that our God works time and again, causing something to fall in that way? Uh, What about, why is it that when we uh, uh, turn water to a certain temperature, that water boils and eventually it turns into gas? Why is it that uh, photosynthesis is a process, works in the plant world? Why is it that our universe in so many details exhibits a certain law, a certain orderliness, a certain way that nature works? Why is it? Well, it speaks to us of the orderliness and of the faithfulness of our God. The constancy of the created order isn't due to the things themselves, but it is due to God and His providence. The laws of nature are simply God's ordinary way of working in this world. And it is God's orderliness, God's faithfulness that even makes this, that, that makes science possible. A science, dear friends, is simply the study of God's works. That's what it is. It's a study of 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 what of, of God's faithfulness in uh, creation. And so it is God's faithfulness, we read verse 90, that endures to all generations. It is God who makes this world stand fast. And and you and I are so surrounded by it that we often don't give a passing thought to it as we go through our days. Wherever we set our foot, everything that we do exhibits the faithfulness and orderliness of Almighty God. I mean, even think about it, the atheist who uses his voice to blaspheme the God who made him, does it with air which the Lord himself is providing him. Does it with a mouth, with a tongue, 
which, which God has enabled the work. Do you, do you see, it's, it's wherever we turn, we see evidence of the Lord's work. Uh, I think of that hymn, uh, uh, Let Them Praises Give uh, Jehovah. It's uh, 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 110 in our hymnals, but it's, it just simply says this, Let them praises give Jehovah. And it speaks of the world. They were made at His command. Them forever He established. His decree shall ever stand. From the earth, O praise Jehovah. All you seas, you monsters all. Fire and hail and snow and vapors. Stormy winds that hear His call. All of creation exhibits the orderliness of the God who has made it. And God preserves the world in this way. Uh, partly because he's being faithful to his own covenant. You'll remember that covenant that we looked at in uh, Sunday school a few weeks ago. Covenant made after the flood, after Noah's flood. Okay, While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So God promised. And so it is. Genesis 8 and verse uh, 22. What is that great thing then that we learn everywhere that we look in nature? We learn God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness from one generation to the next. Every day, day in and day out, the faithfulness of Almighty God. Well, that faithfulness and that unchangeableness which marks the world in which God made also marks the word which God inspired. Uh, but as it were, even more so. Okay? In other words, if, if you're going to awake tomorrow with the expectation that the sun is going to rise yet again, you also can wake tomorrow with the expectation that all of God's promises are going to be true, just the same as yesterday. And that's what we come to here in verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. The one who in faithfulness created and ordered the rest of creation is also the one who has fixed his word firmly in the heavens. It's settled in the heavens, the the place where the unchanging throne of God is established far above all the variations and the feebleness and fickleness of this changing world. Change and decay and all around I see, we sing, O thou who changest not, abide with me. Well, what is God's word but the product of the one who changes not? His word is true and steadfast, unlike this changing world. And isn't that such good news? Because the world in which we live in, while it exhibits the orderliness and constancy of God, on the other hand, due to man and his own sinfulness, is often changeable and fickle and uncertain and ambiguous. Right? We make promises that we don't keep. We state things which are not accurate. Lies abound. Manipulation is found everywhere that we look. And how different is God's word than that? God's word is that which is settled and determined and stable and unchanging and fixed and sure and immovable. Uh, just, I think it was last night maybe, we were in our family worship we were uh, considering the story of the spies in Rahab and Jericho. And you'll remember the spies 
uh, stayed in Rahab's house. Uh, she hid them, and as they were leaving, she told them, um, well, you let us down through this window, and we're going to escape. But then when the Israelites come and uh, invade the city of Jericho, what you need to do is to set out this red cord from your window, and you and your household gather in your place, and you're going to remain safe. It was a promise that they made. I remember asking our uh, children, do you think that Rahab uh, believed the promise that they, that, they, that they made? And she did believe it, and rightly so. I mean, they were trustworthy people. But, but you know, could have that promise been broken by those spies, by the Israelite army? And the answer is yes, it could have. I mean, they, those were trustworthy people. But, you know, it's still a promise that is made by, by man. Okay, and you do wonder if even some doubt must have risen in Rahab's mind because even the best of men and women sometimes forget their promises or can't fulfill their promises or they change their mind or they selfishly fail to follow through on the things that they say that they're going to do. But never God. God is not that way. God's word is sure. Numbers 23:19 God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it Or Isaiah 40 in verse 8 the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever Even this sure uh, and constant world even there the grass wither and the flower fades but our God's word stands forever or Matthew 5:18 the words of Jesus in the sermon on the mount For truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away not an iota not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished uh, The promise is that God's word will even outlast this present created order It is unchanging and it is sure what a word of comfort this is for you and me. In the midst of, a, of, of the world in which we live, in the midst of men's lies, we have an unchanging word of God. This is why uh, doctrines like what we call the infallibility of Holy Scripture or the inerrancy of Holy Scripture aren't just uh, theoretical doctrines that are to be argued. People say, ah, that's stuff that theologians debate. It doesn't really matter. Well, friends, it makes all the difference. For our day-to-day -day lives. To know that every last syllable of God's word is true and fixed and certain. That every word that he has given is sure. Makes all the difference in our Christian lives. His word is fixed in the heavens. I mean, it means that when God tells us about his character in the holy in, in Holy Scripture. He's not exaggerating or making it up. But rather, everything that he says about himself is true. It means as well that when uh, God tells us of his salvation in the Word of God, that that salvation isn't one which is here today and gone tomorrow. But as he tells us about how he has elected us from before the foundation of the world, and how He's redeemed us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And how He's given us of His Holy Spirit. And of the certainty that we have of everlasting life. That these aren't 
uh, offers, as it were, that are reneged, but rather His Word remains. As surely as His Word stands, His salvation that it reveals stands as well. It means as well that God's promises are unchanging. When God says that He's going to do something, He does it every time. You can put your finger on every promise of Holy Scripture and hold God to it. And you can live by those promises because they are true. It means as well that God's commands are unchanging. What is His will for how you would live your life? Well, it's what Holy Scripture reveals. You don't have to think, well, I wonder if this is going to be pleasing to God today. Because His Word tells you the kind of life that is pleasing to Him. His word, His commands are unchanging. You see what a wonderful thing it is to have a sure and a certain and unchanging Word. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? It is God's eternal word. But now what I want for the remainder of our time today is to see how this eternal word, this unchanging word of God, is the Christian's surest support. And we're going to see that in verses 92 uh, through 95, and then also verse 96 at the end. How the eternal word is the Christian's surest support. And in particular, we're going to see four different ways that God's eternal word supports the Christian. And then, as we look at these four ways, we're going to see how we need to use God's word uh, so it will support us in those ways. Okay, so four different things, one corresponding to each verse. Uh, First of all, in verse 92, we're going to see how God's word, how God's eternal word preserves us. How God's eternal word preserves us. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Here, the psalmist speaks very realistically of afflictions that he endures. Trials that had brought him near to death. We don't know exactly which affliction he's speaking uh, speaking of here, but you know the kinds of things that he's talking about. What, what David says in Psalm 23 is uh, the walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Those times when grief overwhelms your soul. When the burden that you're asked to carry seems far too heavy. Those days that you're not sure that you can still go on in life. That's what David's describing here. And the question is, how can you go on? When those days come, how can you keep from perishing, being overwhelmed in the affliction that you endure? And the answer is, it is only in the strength of the truth of God's word that we can persevere. And that's what the psalmist says. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. It is in making the law of God, the word of God, the delight of your soul, that you are going to be upheld in days of deepest darkness. You know, I've been blessed with a, a great relationship with my wife, a very happy marriage. I delight in her, and I delight in my children. My home for me is a haven 
It really is of rest and of joy. And uh, when I go through difficult times, what a wonderful thing it is to be among the to be with the woman that I love and the children whom I love. Okay. Well, some of you may have that as well in your homes. Uh, but what I want to say is how much more for each one of us. How much more for each one of us should we experience delight and a haven of safety and rest and joy in God's word and in communion with him. That when we go through times of deep trial and deep affliction, can you delight in the word of God and find joy in communion with him through that word? That's our highest delight, even even a greater delight than the joys of family. That whatever turbulence you experience, you can find a haven of rest and of delight in the promises of God and in the salvation that He provides in His Word. You can feast your soul in the delights of of His saving Word, reading the Scriptures and finding in them uh, something to thrill your soul yet again. Oh, that I'm saved. Oh, that I'm a child of God. Oh, that I have... Uh, uh, that He'll never leave me nor forsake me. Oh, in the Word of God, we find true delight that keeps us from perishing in the midst of our affliction. Can you, like the psalmist, when affliction comes, yet delight in the Word of God and find there something to keep you and preserve you in the midst of those dark days? So the Word of God, God's eternal Word, preserves us. Secondly, God's eternal Word quickens us. God's eternal word quickens us. We see this in verse 93. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. There he speaks of the Lord's precepts and says, By those precepts, Lord, you have given me life. Now here you'll see that it's not strictly God's word which gives him life, but it is the Lord who, through his word, gives the psalmist life. It reminds us that the word and the spirit go together. They work together. The spirit quickens us by his word. Now, by quickening or giving life here, I think it refers both to that initial giving of life at our conversion, and also the constant renewal which we experience in the Lord as well. Uh, It's clearly by the word that we are first given new life. Uh, James 1.18, of his own will, uh, you were brought forth by the word of truth that you might be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Do you see what he's saying there? James is saying that you were born again, how? By the word of God. That's how. And so it is. That it is the word of God which can bring life. How is a sinner to be brought to life? They're to hear the gospel message. And the Spirit takes that gospel message and and, uh, plants it deeply in their hearts. Was that not how you first came to new life in Jesus Christ? Somebody told you about Jesus. They gave you the word of God. And God used that word to bring a dead, lifeless, spiritual corpse like yourself. Breathe new life into you brought you uh, into, uh, into new life. Well, just in the same way that it is God's word which quickens us for the first time, 
It's also that which quickens us when we become spiritually drowsy or apathetic or when our hearts become cold to the things of God. What we need when our hearts grow cold, when our appetites aren't there, when we become spiritually dry, what we need, dear friends, is the Word of God. That's what He uses to to quicken us, to bring us new life. This is why we should always seek to bring, first of all, unbelievers into contact with the Word of God. Somebody that you're trying to, to, to speak to about Christ, well, give them a Bible and ask them to read it. Or, or better yet, say, can you read this chapter? Read, read uh, uh, John chapter 1. Read, you, know, you pick a portion of the Bible and say, can, can we study it together? Or, or that's why you invite a believer, or an unbeliever to come and dis- listen to the, uh, to the preaching of the Word of God. Or you, you send them a link to a sermon that you heard and said, I'd love for you to hear this. We, we bring unbelievers in contact with the Word of God because that's how, that's how the Lord might bring them to new life. But this is why, as well, you and I need constant contact with the Word also. It is because that Word will quicken us when we become cold to the things of God. And so the psalmist does say there in verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Don't forget the precepts of the Lord. Store up His Word in your heart and in your mind. Seek to remember it, memorize it, live in it. For that's the very thing that the Lord will use to revive you in the faith. So the word quickens us. God's eternal word preserves us, it quickens us. The third thing that it does is that it saves us. Verse 94, it saves us. There he says, I am yours, save me. For I have sought your precepts. Here the psalmist begins with a statement of consecration to the Lord. He says, Lord God, I belong to you. I am yours. I am yours. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm trusting in the only Savior. And what's the evidence that He is the Lord? He says, it's that I have sought out your precepts. One of the marks of true consecration to the Lord is that we seek out God's precepts. An unbeliever doesn't seek out the Word of God. The Lord's promise is that you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And so the psalmist is saying that when I truly seek you in the Lord... Uh, when I truly seek the Lord, excuse me, in His Word, I'm going to find that God will truly save me when I cry out to Him. So then he's asking, Lord, I am yours, save me. So this might not simply be talking about that initial salvation, but ultimately the the final salvation from, uh, well, well, our continual salvation from sin and from the effects of sin in our lives, and that final salvation where we will be saved from the wrath of God. And so we are given that assurance, even as we seek out the Lord and His Word, that God will truly save us when we cry out to Him. He will save us from the coming wrath. He will save us from prevailing sin. He will save us unto glory. So, dear friends, can you be one who seeks out the Lord in His Word? Seek out His precepts. 
And you cry out to him to save you. And the promise is that when you do that, he indeed saves. He hears such a prayer. So not only does he preserve us in affliction, not only does he quicken us, not only does he save us, but then fourthly, he protects us. This is in verse 95. He protects us. Verse 95, uh, the psalmist speaks again. Doesn't he speak of this frequently? Of uh, the wicked who would seek to persecute him. The image here that he uses is that of almost like a, a wild beast that's about to pounce upon its prey. And he says, the wicked, they lie in wait to destroy me. That's kind of an unsettling thought, isn't it? There are those who are waiting to pounce on you. But it's true. Think of Satan himself. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Wow. Uh, He's uh, one who is developing many schemes, we're told. Uh, uh, Satan has many schemes or devices in which he is trying to deceive us and to trick us so Satan is always out to destroy us. But not only Satan, the world also is active against the Christian. The world which seeks to imprison believers, or smear the good name of believers, or pressure believers. It's not how often it works in our own culture to pressure us into into conformity with the world, or to mock our beliefs, or to exclude us from uh, certain social circles, or to seek to alienate the believers. These are the kinds of tactics that are often used against believers in our day. And friends, if you are a Christian, you will experience, like your Savior, persecution like this. You will feel that the wicked often are lying in wait to destroy you, to ridicule you, to turn you away from the faith. Well, how is it that you can be preserved and protected In such a time, well, the psalmist says, this is how, it's when I consider your testimonies. That's how. That's that's how the Christian is given protection. It's by the testimonies of the Lord. It's the Word of God which protects us. We've been looking at the the, uh, armor of God on Wednesday nights. The sword of the Spirit is one of the pieces of armor that we're to wear. The sword, which is an offensive weapon but also a defensive weapon as well. And it is that word, the considering of God's testimonies, that do become our defense in uh, times of difficulty. I mean, so when the world seeks to plant doubts in your mind, you know, is Christianity even real? Is it true? Well, what's going to give you assurance but the word of God? That's what's going to give you assurance. Or when the world seeks to threaten your life or your livelihood. It's the Word of God that will remind you that your God is going to supply for all of your needs according to His riches and glory. And then one day He's going to take you into His glorious presence in heaven so that even to die is gain. What do you do when the world seeks to ridicule you? Well, again, it's God's Word that reminds you that in the same way they sought to ridicule Christ. But the Lord triumphed over them in the resurrection. And even as they ridicule you, dear friend, you also are going to triumph in the midst of that affliction. You see, with every assault that the devil and that the world throws against you, it's by considering the Word of God, by considering His testimonies, 
His promises, His salvation, that's where our soul rests and finds its support. God's Word is what gives us every defense that we need. And so God's eternal Word is what preserves us, it quickens us, it saves us, and it protects us. Friends, we need to use God's Word in this way. What a gift God's Word is. This sure, steadfast, immovable Word. The psalm ends in this way in verse 96. He just says this, almost like the writer to Ecclesiastes. (laughs) I have seen a limit to all perfection. Everywhere I turn, I see those things which are are, uh, weak and fickle, Man changes. There's nothing perfect here in this world. No matter what things you seek out, even the best of people are going to fail. No matter where I turn, there's nothing that will provide for me a sure and solid help. What earthly resource will possibly help you in times of affliction? What resource, what earthly resource will help you to prepare for death and for eternity and for judgment? There is no earthly resource that can be of a lasting help to you in the face of such things. I have seen a limit, he says, to all perfection, but, but, this is a great but, your commandment is exceedingly broad. That sure, eternal word of God is broad. That word broad just means it's, it's, it's suited to all of life. It covers every situation. It's not something narrow, just for a little sliver of our lives. It's something that's sufficient for everything and anything that you're going to face. Everything that you go through, you can find a sure and certain help in that perfect broad, eternal Word of God. What a blessing that is. What a gift. In a world of so much uncertainty, to have this sure Word that is fixed in the heavens. Might we live by and love this Word of God all of our days until we go and be with Him in glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this sure, eternal word, forever, O Lord. Your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. It will not run out. It does not grow old. It's not out of date. Aren't we told that so often? The Bible is an old book that was written to a previous society. It holds no relevance today. O Lord, what lies of the devil those things are. Your word, O Lord, is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your word is sure and steadfast. And our true help, our surest help, amidst many troubles. Lord, grant that we would be a people who love your word, that we would be Bible Christians. Lord, we pray that you would uphold us We pray for any who do not know you, that they would come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus and realize what a treasure your holy word is. Do this, we pray, 
We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing now in response.